Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The first scriptural reading today comes from Psalm 105, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has uttered. O offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, selected verses. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good in the baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them in the furnace of fire. Will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. The word of the Lord. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, yeast, buried treasure, a costly pearl, and a fishnet. Do you understand all this? He asks his disciples, and they answer, 
Yes. Really? Do you? Maybe if we had been there, we would have given the same answer, if only because we didn't want the greatest teacher in the world to know that even though he had reduced the kingdom of God to the simplest of terms, we were still hopelessly confused. To be honest, I kind of wish the disciples had said something like, no, frankly, we do not understand at all, Jesus. Please explain it to us again, this time more clearly, please. Because maybe then we would have a chance of understanding what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God, the very presence and power of God, is like a mustard seed, yeast, buried treasure, a costly pearl, and a fishnet. Understand? Well, no, frankly, we don't. These past few months, many of us, probably all of us, have been struggling to understand, to comprehend, to make sense of all that is happening in our city, in our nation, and in our world. Some of us have reached out to friends for answers. Others of us have searched the web. Some of us have spent time in prayer discerning God's will. Others of us have walked the city streets with others looking for answers there. Some of us have committed to learning something new each and every day about ourselves, about COVID-19, or about the complicated history of our nation. Whatever we've done and however we feel about all that is swirling around us, all of us, I believe, are trying to understand, to comprehend, to make sense of what is happening. And whatever means of understanding we have sought out, it is a humbling process to discover that many of the issues we are now clearly seeing cannot avoid seeing for the first time issues like structural racism or economic inequality or the fractured relationship between the police and the citizens they have sworn to protect. Many of these things have been in plain sight all along. We simply haven't had the eyes to see them. Jeffrey Harrison, in his poem, Renewal, writes about the discovery that often comes when one takes a moment to step back and see things, see familiar things with fresh, new eyes. He writes, At the Department of Motor Vehicles, to renew my driver's license, I had to wait two hours on one of those wooden benches like pews in the church of latter-day meaninglessness, where there is no stained glass, no windows at all, in fact, no incense other than stale cigarette smoke emanating from the clothes of those around me, and no sermon, just an automated female voice calling numbers over a loudspeaker. And one by one, the members of our sorry congregation shuffled meekly up to the pitted altar to have our vision tested or to seek redemption for whatever wrong turn we've taken or pay indulgences or else be turned away as unworthy of piloting our own journey. But when I paused to look around, using my number ticket as a bookmark, it was as if the dim fluorescent light had been transformed to incandescence. incandescence. The face a Latino guy in a ripped black sweatshirt glowed with health. And I could tell that the sulking white girl accompanied by her mother was brimming with secret excitement to be getting her first license 
already speeding down the highway alone with all the windows open, singing. To see the whole picture, to appreciate all that's going on, to gaze beyond our limited experience and our well-worn biases, we have to take a step back and look at familiar things with a fresh perspective. Otherwise, we, we risk missing the beauty that is right there in front of us. The same can be true, I think, in our life of faith. Faith is a journey after all, not a destination, which is why the path Christ would have us tread is all about movement from what is known, what is familiar, to what is unknown, what is unfamiliar. And the good news for us is that the book of stories we hold dear, the holy scriptures we have, it is well equipped to push us along this path of discovery no matter how many times we've read it or how well we think we know it. Because just as we can be blind to the realities of our world, we can also be blind to what the stories from our sacred scriptures have to teach us here and now. Which is why when we read them, when we hear them, especially when we think we know them, it's important to step back from our well-worn interpretations to try to see and hear them with fresh new eyes. As scholar Kenneth Bailey likes to teach, the stories of Jesus, the parables he offers, they are not a delivery system for an idea, but rather instead a house in which the reader and listener is invited to take up residence, where we are encouraged to examine the human predicament through the worldview created by the parable. Instead of trying to make sense of the story from our experience, our task is to stand at the back of the audience around Jesus and to listen to what he is saying to them, to discover what he is saying in any age, including our own. For example, the mustard seed comparison in today's passage seems clear enough. A mustard seed is something really small that turns into something really big. We get it. Or do we? It might help to know that back then, in the time of Jesus, mustard seeds were seen as a huge nuisance. Mustard seeds were so tiny they could easily be overlooked in a handful of other seeds, and the plants they produced became huge, more like bushes. What I'm getting at is they were a weed, and the weed of a worst kind, big and persistent. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he is comparing the kingdom of God to something like kudzu, an invasive species that takes over and even chokes out whatever gets in its way. And yeast? Well, when he talks about yeast, he isn't talking about those little dried grains that come in a handy packet at the store, which can turn some flour and water and salt into a delicious loaf of bread, Back then, yeast or leaven came from setting aside a piece of bread and letting it spoil, literally letting it rot. Then this rotten, spoiled bit of bread would be added to the next loaf to leaven it. When Jesus compares the kingdom of God to yeast, he is comparing it to something viewed as rotten or unclean. 
So when Jesus first compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, his audience pictured an invasive weed that would corrupt an entire garden. And when he said it's like yeast, they imagined moldy, rotten leaven mixed into three measures of flour, enough to make a hundred loaves of bread, corrupting all that flour so it could not be used for anything else. But of course, he doesn't just compare God's kingdom to substances that are seen as a nuisance. He also says it's like a treasure worth so much that a man, in a rather dishonest way, buries it in a field and then buys that field so the treasure can be his. He says it's like a merchant, and back then a merchant was today's equivalent of the worst kind of salesperson, someone who pesters you to buy something you really don't want or need. But when this merchant finds a pearl of great value, he gives up his whole business, his whole livelihood, to acquire it. And finally, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like an indiscriminate fishnet, one that gathers up fish of every kind and quality and dumps them all together on the shore. With all these comparisons, Jesus seems to be saying that the kingdom of God, the very power and presence of God, is not always what it appears to be. And that this kingdom is so intimately tied up in, meshed with our world, that sometimes, most of the time, it might even be found in the last places we would ever think to look. 20 years, of, 20 years of ministry has confirmed to me that we desperately want the most important things in life, our family and friends, our work and society, our faith, and our most deeply held beliefs. We want these things to be black and white, either or, or at least crystal clear. We want to tease apart the good from the bad to figure out exactly what is in God's kingdom and what's not. And we'd really like it, we'd really like it if that old process could be as easy for us as humanly possible, as easy as it was for those folks on the shore separating the good fish from the bad. But what if Jesus is telling us that if we really want to experience God, the presence and power of God here and now, then we have to take it all together, the good with the bad. And then in some strange way, what we think of as bad might actually reveal what is good. What if it's when we find the courage to admit there are things we don't know, things we haven't understood, things we haven't seen clearly? What if it's then that we find ourselves on the path to transformation? With these parables that seem so simple at first glance but become more complicated the longer we look, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is all around us but it's wrapped up in the messiness of our lives. And sometimes the clearest glimpses we get of that kingdom are when what we thought was a big weed coming up in the middle of our perfectly landscaped lawn becomes a habitat for songbirds. And what we thought was a hunk of rotten bread that looks and smells disgusting is exactly what we needed to make the next loaf rise. And when the thief and the salesman are the ones willingly, willing to shoulder the cost of a genuine encounter with God. Understand? Yes? Answered the disciples, and maybe like us, they didn't exactly understand what Jesus meant when he compared God's kingdom to weeds and rotten bread and treasures and pearls and fishnets. But what they were finally beginning to understand, I think, and what these parables are asking us to understand is that God is here all around us, in the paradoxes, 
and contradictions in the tragedies and exultations and the pain and ecstasy of human life. It is all wrapped up together and God is in the middle of it all. After President Kennedy many years ago was assassinated, a member of a church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, called their pastor with an idea that he thought might at least partially redeem the tragedy. What if, he said, what if they committed as a church to providing Marina Oswald, the widow of the accused assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, who was Russian by birth, what if they gave her an opportunity, gave her time and help to learn and improve on her English so she could find her way on her own? Marina had only been in the U.S. for a short period of time, and given all that had happened, she was universally hated for her husband's deeds. and She really had nowhere to turn. Well, as messy as the situation was with the cooperation of the FBI and, other, and others, Marina Oswald came to Ann Arbor to learn English, slipping in at night by train. While in Ann Arbor, Marina lived with a modest family that took seriously its devotion to God and God's call to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, once word got out about Marina being in town, the church finally issued a small press release clarifying the situation. And once they did, the mail started to pour in. Some were quick to point out how unpatriotic this action was. Others called the church foolish and stupid and un-American. Still others suggested that this was a profoundly unwise action, a stain on our honored faith, one letter said. One woman wrote and called it unfair, saying, quote, I have been a member of a church for 40 years, she wrote, and in that time, all the church has done for me, I could write on the back of a postage stamp, and yet you do this for the wife of that monster. Fun stuff. The pastor and the elders of the church answered every single letter written, no matter how harsh or intense. And in every case, for every letter their response was the same. The one thing that you have not shown us, they wrote, is that what we have done is unlike Jesus Christ. In the end, the only God worth worshiping, in my opinion, the only Savior worth following, is not one who makes God easy for us to understand or who protects us from the things in life that are complicated and confusing and even painful to grapple with. The God we need, the God we long for is the one who is right there in the messiness with us, one who draws alongside protesters and politicians and police officers alike, one who stands in solidarity with those who are demanding to be seen and in compassion with those who are seen clearly for the first time and in mercy with those who can't see at all, one who recognizes that each of us can be found in each of those groups at one time or another. Fortunately, this is the God we have, at least according to Jesus, who says God is like a persistent weed <laughs> that you can't remove from your garden. Like that little bit of yeast that makes a whole loaf rise. Like a cunning thief who does whatever it takes to steal our hearts. Like an irritating salesman who won't take no for an answer. And like the strongest of fishing nets cast far and wide, a net that will capture us and bring us all, good and bad, and resistant and indifferent together into this complicated and messy and tragic and beautiful world God chooses to call home. Amen.